Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. What's up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the Grizzlies Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Barnes. We're here with Michael Cole, your Grizzlies beat writer. Lots going on in the Grizzlies world as we record this. That five-game winning st- losing streak, excuse me, is over. Um and the Grizzlies are back on the winning track. Um, they play Wednesday at home against the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard. But before we get into anything else, that game is also important because that will be the long-awaited season debut of one Danny Green, who the Grizzlies acquired this summer. Uh, Danny Green broke that news himself on his own podcast. Um, so he will be available on February 1st, which means we'll all get a chance to finally get a look at him um, and see kind of what he looks like, the shape he's in after his uh, terrible knee injury in last season's playoffs with the Philadelphia 76ers. DeMichael, let's start with you. Um, obviously, there's a lot of talk about what Danny Green can do, what he brings to the table, but let's maybe go into like, what are some reasonable expectations that Grizzly fans should have of someone like Danny Green, who is got some skills that he has, but is also coming off uh, tearing two ligaments in his knee? Uh, expect you know for one let's let's start with the the off the court stuff right that's because that's where the expectations i think evan when you're talking about danny green that's where the expectations can be higher it's a three-time champion uh you know he's played with the best of the best right he's played with Kawhi leonard pascal siakam lebron james you know anthony davis tim duncan tony parker Monty ginobili uh joel mb you know, the list goes on like he has played with some of the greatest players uh, in the game of basketball. So that's experience. Uh, I've had people, you know, tell me how great, you know, of a, a locker room uh, player he is. You know, one person told me that for him to be a role player, he stepped up huge in big games, you know, throughout his time in Philadelphia. Had people talk about his leadership there, his leadership in Toronto, you know, being a big part of that championship team. So it seems like that's the part that you can bank on him. And and really hearing the Grizzlies players talk about him up to this point, what they've said is, you know, they really, you know, put value into him being a three-time champion. I don't think any guy can just walk in this Grizzlies locker room and 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 command their respect like Danny Green has so far because he's a champion. Because he, you know, has the credentials, you know, to do so. So that's that's where you you automatically say that's the you know you're gonna get that. Now you know everyone wants to talk about the on the court stuff, and I and it's it's a great question because uh, it's a mystery, right? You know, ACL injuries. We have seen guys come back and just you know not skip a beat. We've also seen guys come back 
and never look the same again. And we've seen everything in between. We've seen, you know, guys go from all-star level to just a really solid player, but he's not the same player he used to be. And, you know, people throw in Danny Green's age and, and all that. But I tell you what, watching this guy shoot in practice, uh, the stroke looks good. I think the stroke will still be there. I think that's where he can provide, you know, a, a valuable asset to this team. Uh, defensively, just talking, again, I've been talking to people, you know, from his previous teams in Toronto and in Philly and, and in L.A., and, and they all kind of compliment him as a team defender. I thought that was something that stood out to me because a lot of people, I think, so far in Memphis have thought about what can he bring as an individual defender, right, as another one of those wing guys who can step up and, and guard, you know, those tough matchups. But, uh, I, I mean, you know, I was told when he had to guard Trey Young, in that series with the Sixers, he that wasn't his greatest matchup. He didn't really do that well, you know, against Trey Young in that matchup. But he's smart, he's savvy, he's a great veteran defender. But Evan, I tell you what, the thing about it is, I think the starting lineup is pretty set in tone. So uh, where Danny Green's impact will be felt is, you know, he's going to play in probably 18, 22 minute increments and the three point shot. The Grizzlies are not one of the top three point shooting teams in the league. And that's where he'll make a, a mark on this team. Definitely. And I think with Danny Green, you mentioned a lot of things like to me, I've said it since I was the beat writer. The one thing the Grizzlies probably lack is another grown up or veteran on this team that can kind of got, you know, sell things down a little bit because it is one thing when you have a lot of great young players, but you win with veterans. And so I think having him on the court absolutely is going to um, be the most important impact. Because, again, being in the locker room absolutely helps. But when you're on that court and you got somebody who knows what he knows, I think that's going to be a great, great help. But I also think, too, like, you know, fans are going to have to temper their expectations a little bit. Look, Danny Green, 35 years old. He's three years younger than me. You know, we're talking about somebody who has been around the league for a long time. And we should make note, he didn't just tear his ACL. He tore his LCL as well in his left knee. So two uh, ligament tears, uh, excuse me, he had to repair two ligaments in his left knee. And at 35 years old, that's going to be very, very challenging for anyone to overcome, much less an NBA player with Green's capability. So I do think and, that. And yeah, that's cool. why what you just said, Evan, that's why I can't wait to talk to him because eight months. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Eight eight months. I mean, we just seen we seen this right with some of the more prominent players in the league recently. Kawhi Leonard missed the entire season. Jamal Murray missed an entire season. Danny Green is returning before the All Star break of the mm -hmm. next season, and he got hurt in the playoffs of the preseason. Not even the 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 regular season of the previous season. He got hurt in the playoffs in May of the previous season. And he's returning before the All-Star break. So you wonder, you know, like uh, the Grizzlies, I mean, you you know, like I do, they are uh, very careful with these guys uh, when it comes to these type things. But eight months, you it makes you wonder because I, I like to, you know, you would think like, oh, when he suffered this injury, right? He's 35. He was 34 yep. at the time. And you're probably think a 34 year old guy. Oh, he's 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 done for next season. You know, if Kawhi Leonard and Jamal Murray, and you know the injuries are sure they're different. You know, small structural things in the knee with each of those. You know, uh, ACL injuries. But um, you probably think, oh yeah, he's he's done for the season. But for him to come back in eight months, 
I think that's also telling too, and and we'll see how how telling that is. You know, I feel like it's either, it it could go either way, right? It could be, man, he he's the same player, like he is the same player beforehand. He crushed this re- rehab process, or it could be, okay, he kind of rushed himself back. So, uh, and and I don't, you know, the Grizzlies medical staff, as we've seen this season, uh, they've been very careful. You've seen a lot of guys prop up on the the injury report with soreness. It was something I asked Taylor Jenkins about in uh, Sacramento, and he gave me a great answer and basically saying that this season, you know, after the way last season went, right? Remember in the playoffs, Ja gets hurt, Desmond Baines' back is flaring up, and these guys have all played, you know, so many games over the course of the season. And Jaron Jackson Jr. eventually uh, suffers an injury that's kind of, you know, goes hand-in-hand with usage when he fractured his uh, foot. So – all that factored in, I think the Grizzlies are just being more careful. And Taylor Jenkins basically said, look, we don't want to turn any, you know, two days, three day injuries into two, three, four week injuries. So if that's their mindset, I'm sure they've been really careful with Danny Green and eight months from an ACL injury. If the if these things still align, Evan, if the Grizzlies are still doing their due diligence on being careful, like we've seen them do over the course of time and him returning back in eight months. I don't I don't see how that's not a sign that he kind of crushed this process. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to throw some perspective on ACL recovery because um, you mentioned eight months, eight months. So <clears throat> it all, I guess it really all depends on the state of the injury because I'm looking at something right now that says eight to 12 months is about standard recovery time for the most part. And I'm even looking at something right now where um, Iman Shumpert in 2012 had an ACL injury in the playoffs and was out for less than nine months. And then another player, Baron Davis, this, this kind of goes dating me a little bit. Baron Davis had an ACL injury as a freshman, I believe, in the NCAA tournament. He came back and played his sophomore year later on and obviously went on to a you know long career. So we've seen guys come back from eight months even before like modern medicine has done its job. So that really is encouraging. Now, to be clear, Iman Shumpert was a rookie at the time. Baron Davis was a sophomore in college. So their recovery might have been a little bit faster with them being younger. Um, but it does show you that 8 to 12 months on the fast end, I am concerned about that because, again, you don't want to re-aggravate it. You obviously hope that Danny Green could able is able to be able to get his legs and find his way. And for people who think to themselves, well, he's just probably going to be a, a corner shooter or a spot-up shooter – that's still a lot of, of, of pressure to put on your legs. That's obviously where your shooting comes from. You know, you're not just a shooter based on, you know, you know, your arm strength. It's your legs, you know, it, 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 and you can look at Clay Thompson to see kind of how he has recovered. But he's also had games where he has kind of looked a little bit rough. Now, granted, Clay had an ACL and an Achilles, but yeah. there's a lot of different ways this can go. So your hope and what's encouraging is that with Danny Reed back so quickly, your hope is that the Grizzlies are going to, of course, ease his way back, and they will. Um, but you do hope that he can contribute something on the court and not just be like a, you know, a, a, a rallying piece of sorts. Like, you hope that he can contribute because that's kind of what the Grizzlies are hoping for. But I do think fans should kind of temper their expectations. Like, if he can get you maybe two to three threes a game, you know, play solid help defense with the Grizzlies team that's so good at help defense, like you mentioned – um, I think that's a pretty fair expectation, but I would say be very patient and cautious because, again, you are talking about somebody who is 35 years old coming off of this injury. Um, there is going to be some some adjustment. There is going to be some rust. 
Um, and so I hope that people don't think that Danny Green is all of a sudden going to be like the the big, you know, the big savior or something like that. I don't think most pe- fans have that. But I think even if you are reasonable with them, just keep those expectations tempered. Yeah. Because, again, you are talking about a veteran in this league with a lot of mileage on him. And you hope that he can be a quality reserve to help out as opposed to, say, being a starter and, you know, contributing starters minutes. Yeah, you you just want you want him like you said. You just want him to to be a good role player. You're not you're not getting Danny Green to to be Clay Thompson, you know, an all star, you know, historic shooter. You're you're getting Danny Green to to be that guy who, when he's on the floor with John ja Morant and Desmond Bain, John's ja getting the easiest looks probably that he's gotten in his career, you know, at the rim because teams aren't going to leave Desmond Bain and they don't want to leave. Danny Green, you know, when he's playing, you know, at his at his level. So uh, that's kind of what I think you want on the offensive end. And then, of course, the defensive end, we just talked about it. Like, you want the team defense, right? You want a guy who's going to be willing to take on those matchups, you know, against, you know, those tougher, the, the Paul Georges and the, the Kawhi Leonard's, the Devin Booker's and et cetera, you know, in the, in the Western Conference. You, you want someone who's going to be able to take on those matchups if Dylan Brooks isn't in the game or and how about this, Evan? Here's another thing where I, I think the Grizzlies haven't had this option much. Uh, we talk about Dylan Brooks, right? And as up and down as his offensive numbers can be. Uh, what about the option of if Danny Green's hot one day, now you have another guy you can say, okay, you know, Dylan, Dylan doesn't have it, have it today. You can put Ja. Uh, Desmond Bain, those two aren't leaving the floor, but you could put Danny Green on the floor, potentially, you know, in a closing game scenario in, in, in place of Dylan Brooks. And, I mean, he's not a Dylan Brooks-level uh, defender, but he is, you know, he is someone who has started the past n- nine seasons of his NBA career. So uh, it's just, you know, just throwing out potential ideas. You know, they'll have options. Not saying he's, you know, like a perfect replacement. Just saying they will have the option on the table uh, that they don't really, you know, I don't think right now they feel comfortable, you know, with Zaire Williams being that option. But right, I, right. I think, yeah, that's that's my point because I, I you, and definitely not with John Conchart either. But I feel like Danny Green, there is more comfort knowing that, uh, you know, you, you know, he's gonna shoot it for one. You know, he's gonna get open. Uh, you know, teams respect his shooting, and uh, I mean, defensively, he's no, you know, he's no Dylan Brooks, but he is a physical guy. We've seen him walking around. He's he's a, he has a nice stature to him. He can kind of hold his own physically, <laughs> you know, against the threes. You know, he's some big threes in the Western Conference, so he can kind of hold his own against those type guys. But Evan, what do you think about that? I think you know that's that's kind of the. The other thing, or I mean, it's so many ways you can go. Some people will say, hey, put Dylan at the three. I mean, put um, put Danny Green at the three. You Dylan at your four. Jaron Jackson Jr. at your five. Get a little small ball thing going. Like, th- at the yeah. end of the day, it gives you more options having a guy like that who has a lot of starting experience. Because you look on that bench right now, it's not a lot of starting experience. Okay, so you mentioned insurance for Dylan Brooks. I would say he's more insurance for Zaire Williams than Dylan because obviously – in a closeout situation, I don't, I cannot say right now you would put up, you would say sit Dylan Brooks, put Danny Green out there, because that tells me that if you think Dylan Brooks is that much of a detriment, you're putting your 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 closing lineup in the hands of again a 35 year old veteran 
who, with all due respect, this is what is 15th season in the uh, excuse me, mm-hmm. 14th season in the league. Yeah, I don't but know. But not if you every play. game. I'll, no, no, no. But I'm saying not like every game. Like no, 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 when you get even, a hot game every now and then type thing. Just like you know, if he's if he, you know, Danny Green has the ability. He'll shoot six of eight from three pointers one day and and make a bunch of shots. It's like okay, let's leave him in. And Dylan, you know, is not shooting great today. Like basically saying you don't have to be married to a, a final five players just because those are always your final five guys and they're just simply better than the other guys on the bench. I mean, if you can see a lineup probably where that would happen, but I just don't I, – I, I'm just, again, conventional NBA wisdom. Like, I'm not sitting a, a, as a, a younger player who's productive for a veteran, even if that veteran can shoot. Now, you may see some shooting lineups where you obviously can maybe have Ja, Bain, Green, maybe Dylan and Jaron – and spread that floor out, and that could be funny to watch too. I think that would be good. But I, I that that goes back to my expectations, right? Like I think Danny Green, you know, if he gets hot from three, that's what you would expect. I don't think you're going to see Danny Green putting it on the floor. Excuse me, taking it to the basket like Dylan does. Like I'm looking right now at his stats from 21-22, right last season. Danny Green, who started, who was a starter in most of 21-22, had just 10 games where he made at least four shots. Now, granted, he's playing on a team, obviously, with Joel Embiid and um, James Harden, who are going to take up a lot of shots. So that tells me that you're not going to, you know, if Danny Green gets hot, it's going to be from the perimeter. He's not going to be someone who puts on the floor and does whatever. So you're not going to expect Danny Mm -hmm. Green to, like, if he gets hot, you're going to take that and ride with it, you know? Like, he does have, he had seven games last year where he made, where he made three threes. Seven games out of it should be noted, um, Six now, two. So Evan, go to, go look at his playoff numbers too. Though the playoff numbers before the ACL injury were really good in that in that that year last year. Uh, yeah, I mean they were good. Like he had a seven, he had a seven to nine three point shooting game against the Heat. Um, and after that, he made he has two games with four three pointers. He has three games with three three pointers. So he, half of his games in the postseason that year, he made at least three three pointers. That's the encouraging thing that you want to see, but. Can he repeat that with, you know, coming off an ACL, LCL injury? Like, that's what you, your hope that's is that question. He, that's yeah. your hope that he can reach that, you know, he can be at that peak. But when you're saying you're playing in a series against a team with like, say, a really good wing defender, maybe that wing defender's on John, that frees up Danny Green. But you also may say, hey, we might live and die with Danny Green making shots if it means somebody else might not. So I think it's a luxury, not a necessity, if you understand what I mean. Like, I think... Having Danny Green is a luxury that can take this team, give this team another weapon of sorts, but it's not a weapon you want to lean heavily on right now unless you see more evidence that you can lean on Danny Green. And so I think that's kind of where things stand is you want to see how much you can lean on Danny Green. And I don't think we're going to know that until maybe after the All-Star break. So time will tell for sure um, what impact Danny Green will have. But I think it's going to be a be patient. Wait and see. But yep, that's that's, that's op- the thing right there. Be, be patient. patient. Be yep. patient. <laughs> so obviously a lot we can talk about there. But yeah, Danny Green coming back, it, it it really comes at a time when this team probably needs a little bit more boost, especially in the half court. And that kind of leads into like something else I want to get into. Um, DeMichael, you were on this road trip. You were when you went to every game, you saw how much the Grizzlies struggled. Obviously, Steven Adams being gone for uh three to five weeks with a sprained knee is obviously gonna be a huge hurt. Um, but just overall, maybe like as we you know move on now to a new month coming up here in February, what were the biggest concerns you saw 
on this road trip that maybe, just maybe, you can't explain away by saying, well, the Grizzlies, you know, are, aren't a good road team or whatever. But what were some concerns that you thought, you know, and you maybe you wrote about one of them actually, but what were maybe some of the biggest concerns you saw that people should take note from? Yeah, the one you're talking about that I wrote about was the free throw shooting. And uh, it's crazy because, Evan, I wrote about it early in the road trip. I wrote about it after the yep. game against the Lakers, right? And mm-hmm. then we saw, again, uh, the Golden State game, right? I, I And it's funny. It's funny because at the end of the day, we've seen, I mean, it's, the last two-minute report has not been a big deal in Memphis this season because they've just blown out so many opponents. But <laughs> the last two-minute report has kind of become a, a, a little thing over the last couple weeks. Like, And the Grizzlies have gotten, you know, screwed on a couple calls. The Lakers game, the lane violation with Russell Westbrook mm-hmm. with, with Brandon Clark, and the moving screen on uh, Draymond Green against the Warriors. But what those both of those games also had in common were a bunch of missed free throws. In the, the Warriors game, you lose by two, but you shoot 70%, 26 of 37 from the free throw line. 11 so, missed free throws. 11 missed free throws. And, and it's not just, you know, because for one, the, the, the starting lineup has a, I mean, Josh shot 7 of 12 from the free throw line against Gold State. You, you can't have that. And Desmond Bain, I know he's held to a high standard because he's a great free throw shooter, but he shot four of six. He missed two, and and mm-hmm. you don't see that much, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so, with all that being said, free throw shooting is is near the top because we, as we've seen in these in those two close losses, when the Grizzlies get in those close games, guess what? They're gonna have to knock their free throws now. We saw the Lakers even pulled out. They hacked Stephen Adams. They hacked Brandon Clark. Uh, they lost to the. I think they lost to the Suns as well in that game, you know, by two points. And, and, and same thing, 70% from the free throw line. When they lost to the Suns by two, came back from down 29, but 19 of 27 from the free throw mm-hmm. line. The Suns shot 84% from that game. I think the Warriors were close, you know, to 80% uh, when they beat them. And, you know, the Lakers. Not a great free throw shooting team by any stretch of the imagination. But when the Grizzlies lost that game, the Grizzlies shot 26 of 40, 65%. The Lakers were 33 of 41. Basically, the Lakers took one more free throw than the Grizzlies and made seven more in, in a game that they won by one point. So free throw shooting is at the top because I think that's no matter where you're home, road, that's one of the things that, that we've seen You know, the team have problems with. You know, regardless, but yeah. but I think there are other issues as well. Uh, I I think one that points that that stands out to me is the half court scoring. Yes, the half court scoring yes. is 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 uh it, it's, it's been, a problem. It's, it's been a problem, frankly, under the entire Taylor Jenkins era. If we keep it honest, but we can get to that detail more. But it's been a problem, um, under this tenure. It's kind of the trade-off of, hey, they want to run the ball really well and they do a great job in transition, but the half-court offense we saw last postseason, that could be a problem, and it's kind of a problem now. Yeah, and and, and here's the thing, Evan. It gets masked up a lot, right? And it get it get masked up by, by Steven Adams and him being one of the best offensive rebounders, not just in the NBA right now, but of the last decade. And Stephen Adams, you know, he's, he has this his, you know, 
response. I'm sure you've heard him say it. Uh, anytime someone asks him, why, why are you getting, how do you get so many offensive rebounds? Like, what are you doing? And he says, oh, we just, we're missing so many shots. And everybody laughs it off. But right. it's, it's true. It's, um, it's kind of like a dark truth in that joke, Evan. And the dark truth is they're missing a lot of shots because the half-court offense has not been efficient. And Steven Adams has just been right there, picked, he grabs the ball and, and, you know, he can, he can put it back and, and, you know, or, you know, you get great. I feel like the easiest ways to create offense in the NBA, and I'm sure the Grizzlies think this way too. And, and it's why they're one of the best at both of these categories, transition points, second chance points, uh, both chances, both are opportunities where you're going against a defense that's not set. Uh, when you get an offensive rebound, the defense is scrambling. You have guys, they're just trying to put bodies on, you, you know, Grizzlies players trying to boss them out. When you get that offensive rebound, you're going against a scrambling defense. Same thing in transition. Guys are just getting back, picking up the ball, uh, no matter who it is. So that's the thing. Uh, right now, and you say, hey, how can they improve, you know, in half court? Well, Evan, you remember. This is a conversation we had last season. <laughs> and I wasn't here the year before that, but I'd be I'd be willing to bet you probably were having the same conversation uh mm -hmm. the year before because of the way the team is kind of built. Like they don't have, you know, those 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 two, three guys, you know, who are gonna get to that mid-range, you know, bread and butter, like a DeMar DeRozan, a Kevin Durant, or you know, like a Devin Booker, a Jason Tatum. You know, you have Ja, who's gonna try to get to the rim. And when John Morant tries to get to the rim, every team is is preparing for that. We saw literally the Timberwolves have four guys in the paint a lot of times in the playoffs last season, uh, just waiting on John Morant to 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 run right into him. And when that happens, who's your secondary guy? It's I think we uh, right now we think it's Desmond Bain. He can be that guy. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. in the most recent game we saw was that guy. I mean, he was incredible, you know, in that game against the Pacers. But you need it consistently. You know, I to see a lot of fans uh, message me about um, attacking mismatches and things like that. And I'll just point out one. I don't want to hover on that topic too long, Evan. But that Golden State game, something stood out to me. <laughs> Golden State, as you know, they try to hide Steph Curry on defense a lot. Basically saying, hey, he will get the weakest assignment on the wing to kind of rest him a little bit. That's not something that's just, you know, Golden State. The Grizzlies do the same thing with John Moran a lot. He, they have him guard, you know, spot up shooters. So he doesn't have to, to guard guys who are doing all the dribble moves and making him slide his feet a lot and basically expending a lot of energy on defense. But the thing about that is... You know, uh, with the Grizzlies and and like I said, John Morant, you know, sliding his feet, moving around defensively and stuff like that is uh, it. It creates, you know, it creates opportunities. And, so, and oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go sorry. ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, just to kind of like to so to sum up what you said, the two biggest concerns that came on that road trip that you noticed were yep. free throws and half court offense. Yep. And we both agree on that because I think that that's something that. Clearly, as you mentioned, and we seem to be a history, you're not going to win a lot of champ. You're not going to put yourself in position to win a championship with low free throw shooting unless you happen to have a generational player on your team. I'm going to just throw this out because I had to look this up real quick, and I think, thankfully, somebody had had a site up where I can pull this up. So the Grizzlies right now are shooting 71.4 percent as we record this on free throws, the lowest by an NBA champion. This century, so since 2002, the Lakers three peat, 
they won the championship shooting less than 70% on free throws. Now, granted, that was helped by Shaquille O'Neal being one of the you know worst free throw shooters in the league at the time. But you also had Shaq as a generational player at his peak. You had Kobe Bryant starting to emerge at the peak, so they could overcome that. The 2006 Miami Heat shot 70% on free throws when they won the championship that year. Shaq was also on that team, obviously an anchor. But Dwayne Wade had an incredible season, had an incredible playoff run. They were able to overcome that. So what I think you could take away from that is to, to kind of wrap it up on your point on free throws. Yes, the Grizzlies can probably make a run, but it's very, very difficult when you're not shooting free throws. And it's bigger than just, you know, Steven Adams on the team. Like, if you look at some of those other guys, I think I saw the other day at Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark are shooting below their career average. And we yeah. obviously know, you know, the stat that we keep pulling up, John Morant, I believe, is the, of all the top 15 NBA scorers, Ja is the second worst free throw shooter ahead of Luka Doncic. Um, and that's a concern. Like, if you get into a tight game, you know, like that, like uh, that Lakers game, they hit all those free throws until Brandon Clark missed that one. And so to go to supplement your story about how that free throw flaw can prevent a team from winning a championship, the Grizzlies right now would be maybe would be the worst free throw shooting team since the 2006 heat. If they were to win the championship with the, with the free throw shooting percentage they have right now, that tells you that it's really hard to overcome that. And it means the Grizzlies are going to have to collectively do better. Not just Steven Adams. Obviously, Steven Adams is not going to elevate that, but you have to be able to make free throws besides yep. him. And that's the biggest concern in that department. So I want to throw that stat out there to kind of give perspective on um, historically how it's really difficult to win a championship when you're not hitting your free throws. And then half-court offense, we've we've talked about that a lot. I think this is where yep. Steven Adams, Steven Adams is going to be um his presence is going to be missed. I mean, I, I put I think I put up a stat in that story we wrote about his recovery. I think the Grizzlies, I believe, have they score 10.9 points per 100 possessions more with Steven Adams on the court than when he's off it. Just to show you how much he helps with second chance points, screening, all those things. And so um, that obviously came to a head during the, the end of the road trip. And also now, you know, when the Grizzlies stumbled against the Pacers a little bit before they re regrouped a little bit, um, those things concern me because if you want to be a, a championship team, you have to execute in the half court no matter what. I don't care how good you are in transition. The Showtime Lakers, as good as they were, they were also very good in transition. Um, the Warriors, for as good as they can be with those runs, they were great in the half court or consistent in the half court. Um, that's where it's going to come down to. And yes, we're obviously projecting way down the road, but I think now that we're in the second half of the season, your yeah. flaws are going to get nitpicked a little bit more closely, especially when you show them on ESPN where everybody can see them, you know? And everybody is good in the West. Like, it's no joke. Uh, yeah. And all the, you know how many teams right now in the West? Like, I was just, I'm just, you know, I stroll through, like, see what fans of certain teams are saying. There are so many teams in the West that feel like this is their year. Like, it is, it is. The, the Pelicans fans are, are, I mean, you know, I'm sh I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like, the general thing is like a lot of Pelicans people are saying, man, when we get healthy, we can win this thing. The Nuggets fans are saying, oh, we finally got our guys back, right? We can do this. The Clippers have been one of the hottest teams. You know, like they've jumped all the way up to the fourth seed. They feel like they can do it. You know, the Timberwolves are playing better basketball. Man, wait till we get Carl Anthony Towns back. Uh, the Warriors, I mean, they have no reason not to feel like they can't, right? Because they yeah. have done it, so, you know, yeah. up to this point. 
that's the West six, is wide open. I think the West is yeah. really wide it's, open. It's so many teams. I mean, I've heard even Lakers people who think now that they have Anthony Davis back, and we saw them go toe to toe with the Boston Celtics in the game they probably should have won. Uh, you know, they feel like, hey, if we sneak in, look out. Like, there are so many teams in the Western Conference who are really good, and that's part of it, too. Uh, you can't – those just little small details of the games. That's why we're pointing these out. The Grizzlies don't have, like, super huge problems, but the little small things, you know, free throw shooting, you know, half-court offense, those are going to be the difference. I think someone pointed it out to me, Evan. The Grizzlies uh, are really good at those regular season things. You know, like yes. transition scoring – you can stand out in the regular season with that. Yep. In the postseason, you can't stand out with transition scoring because on those plays where guys aren't hustling back in the regular season, say, oh, we'll, we'll give up that too, fight for the next position. The postseason, it's all out. It's all or nothing. They're, everyone's hustling back. Everyone's exhausting full energy. And we see in the postseason as well, that's when it becomes more of an isolation game because uh, teams know what plays you're running. They're taking you out of that stuff. And we talk, that's all goes back to the half court offense. You look at the, you know, the finals last season, it was high skill level. You had Jalen Brown going one on one, Jason Tatum going at guys, Steph Curry, uh, Andrew Wiggins. Like it was high skill level. And the Grizzlies are going to need that, you know, in order to be that type of team. Yeah, I agree. And I think too, like, this is why. You know, it's important to talk about. I think, like you said, the margins for error are so slim in the West, right? They, in, in this postseason, we've we've talked about it. Others have said it. Whoever has home court advantage, that's going to be huge because everyone on the West has struggled on the road. So these margins for error, whether it's, you know, shooting, whether it's free throws, whether it's executing in the half court, all these things are going to be things that are going to kind of linger over this season because we've, we've talked about this. The Grizzlies have not caught anyone by surprise this year. They've done what they needed to do. They've taken care of business last year. They, they've shown that they're not a, a flash in the pan. So I think these are absolutely things that we can talk about and discuss as the second half, you know, of the season heats up. So I think we'll end it right there. We've covered a lot of ground here. We got a lot to discuss, um, but we'll end it right there. So um, for DeMichael, I'm Evan. It's obviously going to be a, a fun February, obviously, this week. Stay tuned because the All-Star Reserves will be announced on Thursday, and we all expect John Morant will likely hear that he is an All-Star for the second consecutive season. Um, we'll stay tuned on that. So for DeMichael, I'm Evan. Y'all be good. The Grizzlies Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.